welcome to the Staff Podcast. We've launched a special edition called the Tackle for Equality, which is the Black Lives Matter initiative funded by FAIR. Um, during this podcast, we're going to be chatting to numerous guests, talking about their challenges, their stories, and their backgrounds throughout sports. I'm joined by Lita Trihana, my co-host for the whole podcast. Lita, how are you doing? I'm um, very well, Brian. Thanks for asking. Uh, very excited for this initiative. It's been quite eye-opening for me. And um, yeah, we've obviously in the first podcast, we've caught up with uh, Munira Ramatula, um, the founder of Footballing Girls, and also the second vice president of Sports Confederation in Gauteng. So she's quite knowledgeable and um, definitely great interview we had with her and looking forward to, to, to for the listeners to hear. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks too. Thanks for asking. Um, we touched just on her background, you know, where her passion for sports came along and her initiative in footballing girls and how they use that her platform to empower young women and just governance around sports in South Africa across the spectrum. So I hope you guys listening enjoy and thank you. Thank you. Okay. So starting off with your journey, um, you started off as a soccer mom and your passion for sport and community development, you know, developed over time. Yeah. Um, but what particularly with sport did that did light that passion for for community development and wanting to empower young girls in sports and young women in sport? I think you know it as you uh, rightly say. It's the, I started off as a soccer mom, and um, I got involved in all these young kids who never had transport or whose parents were never there to support them while they were playing with my son. And that's how it kind of actually just got into it. And, um, but I mean, growing up, you know, we always were brought up with that sense of community and that sense of I am because you are, and, you know, just that kind of upbringing, you know, um, with our families. And I mean, I always said growing up, I had two moms because my mom and my mom's sister were like one in the same thing. Um, so that's the kind of community and, and, and sense of security that I was raised in. And, um, yeah, so, and that's how I just got involved with these kids and I started seeing the needs, their needs and what it is that they needed um, and how they needed some sort of help because sometimes it's not buying a kid a pair of boots that helps. It's just being there on the sidelines. It's mm -hmm. comforting them after a loss. It's, um, you know, encouraging them on, on the soccer field. And mm -hmm. yeah, so that's how it all started. But as time went on, um, you know, I mean, I got to then, I was heading up the development aspect of the club where I needed to make sure that all the coaches were developed and there was some sort of development program for the kids. Um, but I always looked at it as I come from a, co a corporate environment and I always looked at it that way, that there's got to be objectives and we need to be able to measure them and, and, and move on from there. We can't keep doing the same thing every year. I mean, it's the same kids coming, but you don't see progress. You don't see anything. And then while I was running the club, I would get a lot of girls that would come up to me or, or women, like, you know, with daughters or fathers with daughters as well and say, look, my daughter really loves football, but I don't know what to do for her or I don't know where to take her. And we started with a few girls when I was at the club, but I mean, it, it, it wasn't enough, you know? So I thought, okay, let me start an organization where I can get girls to play football, whether she's kicked a soccer ball or not, as long as she had the love for it or the passion for it, because 
because for me, it kept her off the street, it kept her off teenage pregnancy, it kept her off a whole lot of other things, but it also gave her a sense of belonging, you know, a sense mm -hmm. of being a team and learning how teams function, because those are lessons that you take for life with you. So, yeah, so started with that. Um, I remember the first training session because I said, okay, I'm going to start with coaching clinics on a Saturday. Um, I got my D license and I was like, okay, it's time to go, <laughs> you know? Um, but I mean, I had started coaching the boys already at that time. So I kind of knew what it, what it is that needed to be done. And um, I spoke to one of the, the coaches and I was like, I need some girls to come through. I have a few, but like, you know, I've got two, but then I need girls to come through. And he rocks up there with a, a transport full of boys, you know, and I had two girls with me. So he says to me, um, so I was like, but why did you bring the boys? And he's like, no, but I couldn't find girls. Uh, and my daughter had to go to school today, so I couldn't bring her. And I was like, okay, cool. Here, take a ball and go and play there with those boys and I'll carry on here. And he's like, but it's only two girls. And I was like, no, it's cool. But that's what I want to do. I want to give girls the opportunity. And uh, because I didn't want to lose sight of what it is that I wanted to do with this, because if I did, or I had brought the boys in, I would have lost sight. And I don't think footballing girls would be where it is today. Yeah. And yeah, so that's how footballing girls started. And I mean, once we started with that, or I started with that, I started figuring out, I mean, then other girls, you know, the, they would tell their friends. So other girls started coming down. But when they'd come down, they're there in their normal shoes. They're there in their normal clothes. They didn't have equipment. They didn't have anything, basically. Because I, I guess, you know, as a little girl in her home, she wasn't really taken seriously if she wanted to play football. And me being a tomboy all my life, I mean, I, growing up, I was closer to my brothers than I was to my sisters. And I would do everything with my brothers, you know, when they would go out and play soccer on the street, I was there with them. Play cricket on the street, I was there with them, you know. So I kind of understood that. <laughs> and I understood where that came from. So I started this um, soccer boots drive and I was like, no, I'm going to collect soccer boots for girls. But you know what happens. Um, at that time, my son was also at the Cosmos Academy. And there as well, there's a lot of kids that would come through and, um, you know, they would take two to three trains to get there. Really, really talented kids as well, coming from really, really underprivileged homes. Mm -hmm. So I was torn. But I, then I needed to now split the boots. I collected, I think it was 88 pairs of new boots and about 20 pairs of used boots. And like kind of split them, uh, you know, between these kids. But, you know, the boys that were given the boots were boys that were really, really talented. And the girls, it didn't matter. As long as she wanted to play football, she got a pair of boots, you know. And also try to start collecting equipment for them, um, you know, to play. Then one, like a lady coach joined me and she was like, no, I'm interested in what you're doing. Can I join you? And I was like, okay, cool. Let's carry on. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. And then there were other girls that would come and then it was like, oh, let's start a team. Let's start a team. And I said to her, I'm not really comfortable with starting a team, but let's see where it goes. And we did for a season. I mean, we played in the Ekuruleni Regional League. And I mean, I think it was five or six of those girls actually made the provincial squad. They went through regional selections, provincial squads. One made the national under 17 selection. One was selected um, for the HPC. Um, but it wasn't what I really wanted to do. I wanted to get more involved with, you know, for me, it wasn't about the performance. It wasn't about 
creating stars. Yes, it was great that the girls who, who were really good were moving along and getting to play for different teams and, and, and good teams or making selections, but it was giving a girl a chance and an opportunity. And, and you know, so, uh, sorry, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you don't know. I just want to go, just uh, take a step back. Before, you know, you, you, you became so passionate and you got physically involved in, in, in football, you obviously had an extensive career um, with SAA, going from customer service all the way through to their sales and marketing department. How do you think that experience helped you and, and sort of helped you deal with, you know, all the chaos that comes with administration, particularly at the larger scale that you speak about now? You know, being with SAA, at that time, SAA was extremely policy driven, you know, and everything that, that you did needed to relate to policy and you needed to be accountable for it. And I think that that's what kind of then brought me into that space where I needed to understand that people were accountable and whatever was being done, there was there was something that needed to be reached. It wasn't just come there, tick a box and, 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 and do that, you know? And I guess at, at that time, I mean, from there, I moved from SAA, I moved on to SA Express, and then I moved on to Qatar Airways after that. And I think it was Prime Media Broadcasting after that. Yeah, it was Prime Media Broadcasting after that, before I started uh, then my own business. But I think, you know, it's, we need to always look at sport as, a corporate organization, even though it's not, because we know that we have um, KPIs within the corporate industry. You know, whether it's a government or corporate, you have KPIs that you need that you need to reach and achieve. And I guess I, I have that strong background, and that that and it was really one of my strengths uh, within my uh, career as well. Sure, sure. And 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 just obviously, I just want to could focus on, on, on your, your SAA experience because or and yeah. working in, in that aer aerospace uh, environment because I saw mm -hmm. a couple of pictures when I think it was <laughs> um, the 10 year celebration for the World Cup. You posted quite a lot and you were there in the mix when all the stars landed in South Africa. How was that? It was awesome. I think I, I, I got lucky. I got so, so lucky. Uh, at that time, I was with the, um, with SA Express, and SA Express got the contract to transport the teams. So I got to spend um, six, I think it was six or eight weeks in Durban. So looking after the teams in Durban, I mean, Germany was there, Spain was there. Well, they'd fly up and down. Um, Algeria was out in Margate. Um, Paraguay was, was flying out of Peter Maritz, but they were staying somewhere in Hilton, somewhere around there in KZN. And... What was the, I remember there was a Manchester United player that played for that team, Park Ji Soon. What was it, Korea? Yes. I think it was Korea. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So they were, uh, they were also outstationed in, um, in Durban. It was the craziest time. I promise you, it was absolutely the craziest time. I think I'd sleep, we'd sleep like three hours or so, and, and that was it, and you needed to be up. But it was the most amazing experience. I got to meet the entire Brazilian team. I got to meet the, the German team, and I learned so much from the German team in how, oh, and also the Netherlands. Uh, you know how the German team operated? You know how they because we would obviously have to then do their seating, go to their, to their hotels, have a meeting with them. Mm. Ah, Joachim Lowe is like one of the sweetest coaches ever. Like seriously, one of the sweetest coaches ever. Mm. And, um, you know, we sit with them and then 
the Germans were so structured, hey, they would be like, this one has to sit behind that one. That one can't sit in front of that one. Yeah. It was like, and for me, it was like so amazing because, I mean, you just see these guys and you're like, yeah, there's your boarding car. Go and sit inside. We've arranged your seating. We've done everything. Your aircraft's going to leave at this time. So your bus needs to be at the airport by this particular time. And blah, blah, blah. But they were like, so, and I promise you, even when the aircraft stopped, and they'd open the doors and we obviously had to be down on the ground waiting and then come up. Mm-hmm. If the, the coach would stand up first, nobody else was allowed to stand up. The coach would stand up first and then the management team would stand up and then the players would start saying, I was like, oh my God, oh, this is like, yeah. <laughs> it was like, but they were, they were amazing. But even the, um, I can't remember his name now, but he was also so sweet. The Spanish coach at that time, uh, I got to meet Cristiano Ronaldo, the entire Brazilian team, um, the Spanish team. The Spanish teams are such brats. <laughs> such brats. And I promise you, there was, you know, that. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. The night, um, and I'll never forget that night. I, pro- I think we went 24 hours without sleep. The night when um, Brazil played, who was it? Brazil played, was it Germany? No, man, Brazil play, played Portugal. Yes, yes. And yes. I think the whole world flew to Durban that day. There were like so many private jets and now the teams need to leave because um, they flew in, they, they stay a day or two and then they play and then they needed to fly out and they needed to leave, but nothing, the, 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 the airwaves were airlocked. Mm. Ooh, I think we lost you there. Munir? Are you still with us? Uh, Munir, I think we lost you there. Uh, Munir? Hi, sorry, sorry. I don't know what happened. I think uh, my power went out, but it's oh. fine. I've connected now onto a. Um, you know, we have to keep everything ready these days. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, so it was like airlocked. So the teams couldn't leave. The Brazilian team was going, the, their management was going absolutely crazy because they were stuck on the tarmac for like five hours. It was such a crazy time, but awesome. such an amazing time. So, so, basically, so basically, like it was all aligned. It was, it was even before you, you started your own um, business in, in football and working in football full time. So I love how, you know, even though you were working in aerospace and, and, and working in all those um, companies, but then you ended up back in football. And the fact that you enjoyed the experience of 2010 so much, and then a few years later, you, you, you're doing your own thing. It's amazing. It is. It, it's really amazing. I always say, you know, life, life aligns somehow. Um, and at times people think I'm crazy. And I always say that it, it really does align because I would have never, I think 10 years ago, I did, oh, actually I've been in football now for well, in sport for more than 10 years, mm-hmm. but 10 years before that, I would have never seen my, myself as being this person in sport or, you know, but life aligns, your passion finds you, your purpose finds you one way or another it definitely does yeah and i just want to touch on what you said about um footballing girls and starting off because i feel this is a a huge passion of mine (laughs) developing like driven projects especially in sports and i just want to highlight um you know when starting i've met Mm -hmm. a lot of people who 
want to start initiatives that you know help underprivileged communities but mm -hmm. there just isn't that support around them there isn't you know enough money or sponsorships or people willing to to you know go into that space um for anyone listening what advice would you have for you know someone who wants to start out with these initiatives you know just taking the leap of faith and you know just start sometimes you know it's it's extremely difficult but you've got to know what you want and you've got to be steadfast in it and you've got to be able to say you don't have to do a hundred things at once you know? mm -hmm. uh, i mean i started out with just coaching clinics on a saturday sure. you know and 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 then it grew from there and i as i say you know i think life kind of leads you along the way but starting out is extremely difficult um, and a lot of the times as well, you use a lot of your own finances and a lot of your own resources, yeah. but remember it's what you want to start out. And if you need to see it succeeding, you've got to believe in it first and you've got to invest in it. You can't expect somebody to invest in your dream or in your vision when you yourself have not invested in it. 100%. That is, that is so true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also like, because, you know, and, and, and what Brian mentioned as well, just starting is also very important as you say even if it's a small start and a small step towards the right direction it will, it will definitely be fruitful in the end and you know you started uh footballing girls you know you're you're, you're the founder and, and obviously it's, it's done a lot of good work in the communities but now it's also grown into you know a a something bigger with with the equality women in sports um which led to obviously to, to developing and implementing workshops and training programs for women in sport outside just from the football um, itself mm -hmm. you know, and, and the actual playing on the field. So how did that come about and, and what, what made you, you know, take you know, this direction of, of having a, a platform where you honor uh, women in, in your community? You know, <laughs> I always say I live my wildest dreams through footballing girls, but I also have the best people around me, but they, I think they're crazier than I am. Um, and I was actually saying to um, to Nazim and Shonise the other day, um, who, I mean, I work very closely with them. They actually sit on, on the Footballing Girls board as well. And I said to the two of them, the two of you never say no to me. I, I get up in the morning and I say, I want to do this. And you guys just never say no. You're like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> but it's so important to have people who are on the same path as you and who share the same vision and, and see the craziness in it when nobody else does. Um, I mean, footballing girls started out as just soccer clinics and then there was a need for boots. And, you know, and people said to me, nah, you would never be able to collect boots. And I was like, I'm going to do it. And I did it because I had these amazing people around me who are like, okay, where do we help out? How do we make it also a possibility? You know, who do we speak to? That kind of thing. And before I knew it, I had 88 new boots and 20 pairs of used boots, you know? Um, and then it was like, okay, I don't want to do the team thing because that's not what I want. I want to reach a, a bigger reach. Mm -hmm. So I want to start giving out equipment packs, you know, and getting people to start girls football structures and me supporting that because that's going to help with a bigger reach. And it was, again, you know, just investing in it myself to say, okay, I'll buy the soccer balls. I speak to my brother and I'm like, I need stopwatches. Can you buy me stopwatches? I speak to this one. Can you help me with this? And before you know it, you've got 10 packs that you're able to give um, a goal structure so that they're able to at least put a basic training session together. And they're able to then go and say, 
this equipment is specifically for the girls because this is the vision that footballing girls want. And then it was like, I mean, one day I got up and I, I was sitting in the office and I said to, to my business partner, I'm like, I'm giving all these equipment out, but how do I get all these different people? Because I'm sure they have the same challenges, you know, that we've given the equipment to. How do we get them together? And voila, Youth Mind Festivals were born, you know? Let's have a Youth Mind Festival and let's bring all these coaches and all these kids together that we're giving equipment to. Let them spend a day together. Let them network with each other. Let them have a day of fun, but understand each other's challenges. Because then when coaches start speaking to each other, then they, and they're like, no, but this is how I overcame that. And very informal, but also just trying to get them to speak to each other you know um and then i think it was 2017 when i won the volunteer of the year award and i got home that evening and i was like this is such a beautiful feeling uh because i didn't know how to feel about it because i do what i do because i love what i do you know um and i was like how do i then take this and and make other women feel this way i mean i see so many women who are so much older than me but, and have never had this feeling. And I don't think it's fair for them not to have had this feeling. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, how do we then go back into a community and say, this is what we need to do, but this needs to now activate a federation or a club at district or community level to say, in order for us to be recognized for our efforts, we need to start girls' programs or we need to start including girls or we need to start putting women in our leadership structures, you know, over and above the recognition. Because, yes, recognition is great, but it does one of two things. You can either get it and then you're like, okay, I'm happy. I've, I've achieved everything that I wanted to, so I'm happy and I can now stop. Or you, and what it did for me was the opposite, where it was like, I got this recognition, but how do I turn it into a positive to impact other lives and to make sure that a young girl has somebody within her own community that she can look up to so she carries on going, I don't want to see 14 year old girls pregnant, you know, and it, it you know, I don't want to see that. So, how do we stop her from being pregnant? We stop her from being pregnant by giving her something to do, but also giving her her own hero within her own community. Because growing up, as much as, yes, I looked at people on TV and I admired their work and I was like, okay, I want to follow in this one's footsteps. But it was the person who came from the very same surroundings that I did and faced the same challenges that I did that motivated me more than anything. So... I guess it was that. And then, I mean, you know, started out the awards in Ekuruleni. And again, people said, ah, it's never going to fly. It's not going to work out. And I was like, no, it is going to work out because this is something that's missing. And it's not just about the awards. It's about what happens behind that, you know. And this year, I mean, I think we're only supposed to have added two regions, but uh, we could not leave Tswane out. Actually, they, they gave me a bit of a tongue lashing to say, no, but you can't do City of Johannesburg and West Strand mm -hmm. and you leave us out, you know. And, and again, I mean, being an NPO with limited funding and stuff like that, it is difficult. But, you know, looking at that, I mean... You know, I, I think at every award ceremony I cry because I look at, and especially the women that are older than me, you know, mm -hmm. and it's the first time there was a woman from the West Strand who, she's actually a board member in one of the federations and has served that sporting code 
all her life and continuously does so even up to today. And she called me because she was out of town when we were doing the virtual shoot. And she said to me, Munira, I'm coming back because I have never received anything in my life. And I've been in this industry for over 50 years and I've never received anything. And this means so much to me, you know? And so how do you stop when, you, when, you, when you're at that point? You can't stop. Even if you want to, you cannot stop because it's like, okay, this is impacting and it's changing lives. And it's, it, it's, it's making, whether the person is younger or older than me, it makes them realize that they've got to be able to give back to their communities as well because somebody did it for them. I had a young girl the other day, um, she now plays for Vits. She was one of my, she used to attend the coaching clinics when I first started footballing girls. And um, she plays for Vits now, uh, Vits ladies. Mm -hmm. So she called me up the other day and she says to me, I'm back, I'm at home because obviously no lockdown and stuff like that. But at our place, the grounds were turned into, the soccer fields were turned into a cemetery, so they don't have fields. But she has this group of like 15 or 16 boys who she is coaching. And for me, that melted my heart because I was like, okay, we did something right with her. You know, she understands the need to go back and empower her community. I mean, she's what, 20, 21? She could say, I'm playing adverts. I don't need this. I can, you know what I mean? But she, she understands the need for the community and that's what we want. That's what we want to see. And she's like, we need some equipment and we need, you know, I need your guidance and I need your help and I need your equipment. And I was like, whatever you need, I'm here to help you because we want to foster and carry on those relationships within the communities that you don't just come get what you want and walk away, but you come, you get what you want and you are able then to go back to your community and say, this is how I'm giving back. And that's another important aspect of, of the awards. Um, as much as achievements count for it and we love achievements and we appreciate achievements, but there's two um, other points within our awards is your community development and your self-empowerment because women need to empower themselves also. They've got to understand the, the importance of empowering themselves. Yeah. I do it up to this very day. I'm continuously learning and I learn new things every day. But I mean, I could be playing for the Springboks and I could achieve all these amazing things. But if I'm not going back to my community or the community that I live in and doing coaching clinics or going to schools and motivating young girls, you don't deserve to win the award. Because yes, it's great that you're doing that. So you can go to the national awards and stuff like that and be awarded at that space. But with our awards, we want to see what are you plowing back into the community. Because, and that's how we also learn then to develop programs. Because I deal with female athletes. And when I look at them and I invite them to a meeting and they are late and they have no sense of time and they're not dressed appropriately for a formal meeting, that's how the, the, the personal branding workshops came about. Because I sat there and I was like, you know what, we do say female athletes need to learn to be brands, but we are not teaching them to be brands. And sometimes it's the simplest of things. You know, you'll find, I always make the example of Amanda Tandish. Thank God she's now out in Spain. She's got a, an international contract and whatnot have you. But I mean, she was um, one of the finalists for goal of the year at the CAF Awards. And there was literally nothing on her social media. I mean, she was competing against EPL giants. Yes, you know, yes. for this award. And yet it wasn't celebrated enough, not by her, not by her peers. 
and you literally could barely find her on social media. And I'm like, okay, so what happens if a club in England is looking for her? Or, I mean, they've seen this amazing goal. They can't even make contact with her. There's no videos on her social media about her games. There's nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. And we need to teach women how to be brands and how to put themselves out there in a positive way that would then make them you know, look good to potential sponsors, to potential new employers and stuff like that. And then I also had sat and I looked at, you know, leadership because I know when I was thrust in a leadership role and at times you get thrust in a role because people think that you need to just sit there and keep quiet and they tick a box because we have a female here and that's good enough. And stuff is kept away from you, you know, you'd be like, but why can't we do it? You know, the, 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 the constitution doesn't allow, but like, where's the constitution, <laughs> you know? That's why the leadership program came into play, but I wanted a CETA accredited one because I wanted the women to walk out of there knowing that they have some sort of qualification when they walk out of that, but also just teaching them on how do you deal with the leadership position? How do you read financials? How do you put finance policies in place? How do you stand up and do a presentation? What do you need to put within your presentation? How do you share your story positively so that it inspires somebody else? You know, And also, how do you stand up for yourself Um, we are always being accused as women of being emotional and um, and that's what's always thrown at us. No, you're just being emotional. I'm not being emotional. And for me not to come out as being emotional, I need to, when I argue my point, I need to argue it correctly to say article this, that, that, that states this. Hence, this is how this should be done, you know? And it's difficult at times for people to understand that because they don't expect you to, to know these things because nine times out of 10, you know, you find women that are thrust into these positions, but they are closed off so that they just there to tick a box kind of thing. And I found that a lot in, um, especially in the communities. I started with workshops on, you know, your competition rules, your statutes, your constitutions, you know, for the women, because I mean, a woman had come up to me and she was in charge of the competitions committee in her organization, but she didn't even know what the competition rules were. You know, she didn't understand the basic stuff. So it, for me, it was like, okay, we got to do something about this, but also from personal experience, because I got as far as where I got on ensuring that I'm always empowering myself. I'm always understanding what governs the organization that I'm in, what can be done, what cannot be done, what can be improved on, what are the loopholes, what are the gaps, and how do we improve from there? Yeah, I mean, you touched on so many <laughs> nuances, like really inspiring um, aspects, um, you know, from diverse leadership to women empowering themselves and, you know, keeping the ecosystem going, um, you know, mm-hmm. people empowering lower down and the next generation. Um, but, you know, sports is sadly, obviously a male dominated space, especially, you know, in the leadership positions in you know, federations and NOCs. But, you know, do you th- I always think back to, you know, you know, little kids, like you look at doing a bit of opering and, you know, six-year-olds still think that mm-hmm. sports is, or oh, let's go play football, but no girls are allowed because, you know, mm-hmm. s- football or sports is for, you know, guys or boys. Do you think enough is done to educate men 
and you know little boys to you know have an equitable and inclusive society for the future look i think um there's still a lot of work to do i don't think that enough is being done to um to educate little boys to understand that I can play football with the girl and she can beat me and there's nothing embarrassing about that. (laughs) I I, I don't think it's a lot is being done, but as going into the communities and, and trying to nudge and push federations and clubs in that direction to say, what you do for the boy child, you need to do for the girl child. It kind of then puts things into perspective, you know, like, okay so she also deserves to get what i get and she also deserves to get that equal opportunity but there's still a lot but you know having said that though when i when i think about it a lot of the people around me who guide me who help me who mentor me are men who are within the space um they are progressive men uh, let me put it that way who understand the role of 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 women in sport you know, uh, and who understand that I shouldn't be judged on the fact that I'm a female, but I should be judged on the fact that I'm contributing towards this, that, and the other. Um, so I guess it, at some point it is good, but I think there's still a lot of men out there who just don't look at women that way. You know, they feel that women are invading their space. I mean, I've been through Helen Bank with situations where I was made to feel that I need to shrink because I'm shining brighter than somebody else and he should be shining that bright and not me. But I've always been the person that if you want me to go under your umbrella, you've got to give me the shade. But if you can't give me the shade, then don't expect me to go under your umbrella. You know, I I don't do mediocrity. And I can't sit and accept mediocrity at the same time. And there's a lot, there's so much that needs to be done with educating men on understanding that, uh, you know, as, as women or as young girls, we're not here to take your place. We are here to work together and we can achieve so much together. But it's not everybody. There's just certain people who are stuck in their ways. And at times they, they want to blame culture for it, you know? It's always no, but our culture. Um, I, I don't think it's culture. I think it's attitude. It's how you perceive and see a situation. Because you cannot think that I'm good enough um, to do something, but I'm not good enough to take the credit for it. Or I'm not good enough to say I'm proud of myself that I did that. Um, because it literally boils down to those little things. Um, you know, it, it, it does. It, it literally just boils down to those little things where um, you can't be that way. Mm-hmm. I, I, for me, I don't find it normal. You know, um, you get somewhere, you know, you get into a meeting or something and somebody says, make me a cup of coffee. And I'm like, make it yourself. Why do I need to make you coffee? No, but you're the only woman here, but I'm not here to make you coffee. You know, yeah. so. even, even if someone <laughs> you, you, imagine you still get those kind of, of, of requests. So just you know, you yeah. touched on something very key earlier, um, with regards to you know support for for women's sport and, and women's football, mm-hmm. really, just support from either its government structures or um, local private organisations. Mm-hmm. You you know, obviously running an NPO as well. Um, just mm-hmm. how how do you view you know? 
the whole thing of, of, of ad, the adequate support or the inadequate support, I rather, that you know women's sports are, are getting, and just that whole, um, just the whole story behind, you know, if, if there's not enough, um, it, you know, people make up excuses for for not for for, for, for women or, or not getting enough money or not getting enough banking sponsorship and all that, they'll make excuses of other, oh, but the, the the level's not the same or there's not enough. Um, spectators or following for it so it's not um, viable for sponsorships how do you what's your view on that firstly and what do you think is the future because obviously we we're going into a more you know diverse and equitable society and we you know we're making all the, the right noises and hopefully okay. soon rather than later you know things will change when it comes to um, funding and, and sponsorship for women's sports but what do what, what are your views on that and where do you think we will be going I think first thing, first and foremost, uh, women's sports should stop being treated like the stepchild uh, more than anything, uh, because that is what happens. It's good enough when the girls are winning and then everybody wants to be around the girls and it's like, oh no, they're winning. So it's nice um, to be around them and stuff like that. But when, it's, when we're sitting on the table and we're saying, okay, we're speaking to X, Y, and Z sponsor, we want to put out and say, no, um, there's so much, um, the, the men's team can give you so much more. I don't believe that. If I look at Banyana Banyana right now, I feel that Banyana Banyana is a big, is a better and a bigger brand mm -hmm. than our Bafana Bafana team mm -hmm. because they've achieved so much more and under very strenuous conditions and under very limited resources compared to the ones that have so much resources. And I mean, it's not just that. Um, there's other sporting codes as well where the women's sides are treated like the stepchild. And it's no, but they don't have the sponsor. But you're sitting on the table and you're negotiating for those sponsorships. So when you negotiate, why aren't you putting all your brands on the table? Why are you pushing a specific brand? Because you should be saying, Federation X, I'm sitting here on the table. These are our programs. This is what we are doing. And this is the sponsorship that we are looking for. Because if federations are not going to also take the lead when it comes to sponsorship, then sponsors are also not going to take the lead and say, no, but we want X, Y, and Z. They've got to take the lead from the federations where the federations are saying, this is what we want, equal opportunity for both the brands or for all the brands that we have within our wing, because this is how we are going to get you return on investment. That's number one. Number two, when you take the sponsor's money, give them return on investment, mm -hmm. you know? be accountable for what you are doing with sponsorship money because if i'm taking your money and i'm not being accountable and i'm not giving you the return on investment i'm just doing the bare minimum because i just need to keep them a little bit happy as a sponsor i'm also not going to be happy i'm going to be like no but i want return on investment on my money you know so why should i have to sponsor you and what happens then the women's team suffer because the people that are put in place to ensure that they keep the sponsors happy are not keeping the sponsors happy. They're just doing the bare minimum because they themselves are not treating that part of the brand the way they should be treating it. Yes. And, you know, just from, I, I've, I've got this opinion of, you know, particularly mm -hmm. when, when you have these discussions where certain sponsorships are, are, are sort of reluctant to get on board of, of for certain, as you say, if, if, if it's not packaged properly and if the federations are not, you know, fighting for, for, for that part of their federation and the women's sports and all that. But 
Mm-hmm. Isn't it also a matter of trying to find your your sort of because I think it's women's sport is is it's still an open market. It's still uh, there's still a lot of of, of room for sponsors mm-hmm. to get on board and you know own the space. So do you think also that plays a role in terms of how obviously you mentioned you know if the federation doesn't take the the, the sport seriously, how do you expect the sponsor to? But is also mm-hmm. in terms of different approaches that could be applied in getting sponsorship to, for women's sport, um, particularly, you know, getting, you know, more maybe uh, sport companies that are not involved in sport at the moment or companies that are, you know, maybe they had a different uh, a line of, of, of work and now they're looking to diversify their portfolios. How, how do you, what, are, what is your opinion in terms of just, we don't have to always look, look for your, your, your big banks or your, mm-hmm. your, your, your huge normal standard sponsorship for, for, for sport but we can look elsewhere we can you know go a bit broader and open it up and i'm sure that's something you've you 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 have an opinion on what do you think about that i think it's true i think it's not always about going after the big brands it's also about giving other brands a chance and an opportunity to say this is the brand that we have and again i'll go back and i'll say as a federation it's my responsibility to make it attractive for the sponsor. I cannot sit there and say, we need sponsors for women's sport, yet I'm not making it attractive. The fact that a brand is there does not mean that it's going to do well. I mean, you walk into a supermarket, uh, for instance, there's different variations of peanut butter on, on, on the shelf. You have your reasons for choosing the one that you choose. And it's the same way with sponsorship. Make it attractive for the sponsor. Make them understand what the brand means. And make them also understand that when you invest in this brand, this is your return on investments that we are going to do to make sure that your brand is out there. I mean, you look at COVID now with with lockdown and everything else that's taken place. It's a perfect opportunity to, um, you know, to, to look for new sponsors. It's a perfect opportunity to put your brands out there, especially your women's sports brands out there. Um, I always, I look at, I mean, I look at all, especially, um, you know, federations and stuff that, that I follow on, on social media. And you look at like literally big days that take place where it's around women and stuff like that. And you don't see anything about it. You know, there's nothing spoken about it. There's no, and times it's not much to really put your brand out there. It's not much to make look and feel attractive it's the little things that you do it's a 30 second video about your brand a 30 second video about this play and the amazing things that they are doing or this female athlete and, and what she is doing and putting it out there so it, it catches somebody's eye to like oh okay I'd like to get involved in so-and-so's business because I can see that they're taking this seriously. But if me as a federation, I'm not taking my women's sport brand seriously, I do the bare minimum. When something's happening, that's the only time you hear about them or see them, then why should a sponsor take me seriously? Whether it's a small sponsor, whether it's a big sponsor. And that's the other thing. Look at different things, especially when it comes to females. There's like so many spin-offs that you could work off. You know, there are literally so many spin-offs that you could work off. I mean, I look at what we do with the, the Gauteng All-Star Games. We achieve amazing results, literally amazing in a short period of time and in a short space of time. Because when we run or when we have that tournament or when we end the build-up and everything else around it, you, wherever you look, what do you see? 
Gauteng All-Star Games, Gauteng All-Star Games. That's it. That's what's happening. That's what's out there. That's what you're seeing. Um, you're seeing your legends. You're seeing your, your young players. You're seeing they in your face. You can't get enough. I mean, you, you, you know, wherever you look, they're there. And federations are not doing that. They, they're yeah. really not doing it. You look at the digital space that's available right now for them to play on where it's not even going to cost them much to actually put content out there and you're not getting that content. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're really inspired and I was definitely really inspired um, <laughs> by this, this conversation. And I hope, you know, anyone listening, you know, did take a lot from you because I know I did. And just to start these initiatives, you know, not necessarily for women in sport, but just, you know, to communities that really need it, whether it be the LGBTs mm -hmm. in South Africa. And we have, you know, a, a very big problem with mm -hmm. a woman in South Africa who are not safe in the country. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done, as you mentioned, but mm -hmm. You know, with people like you inspiring the younger generation to start more projects, I think we we could have a, a bright future. Yeah, and I, I, just hope, I just hope that um, Federation X, I will just call them now, will be <laughs> out for you in the future and get you on board because they definitely need the help. <laughs> we can only hope we can only hope yeah. um, but look you know what there, there's so much i I'm, I'm forever grateful for for being at the gauteng sports confederation because i then get the opportunity to work with so many different federations and then get to understand and then get to say okay this is what needs to be fixed there this is how we can work with this this is how you know we could push certain agendas when it comes to women um and, and and how do we get them out there so I'm, I'm forever grateful for that but you know my one gripe right now and the one thing that i would love in this lifetime to get right is the professionalization of women's sport yes 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 and then you know with obviously with um with the super league last year and just the the, the sort of stop start and and just the way mm -hmm. they go for the prize money more that i'm sure was not pleasing to see for anyone actually because as you say, you know, no. the professionalism is required at every level, particularly once, you know, you mm -hmm. leave your youth structure and you're, you're going into professional stakes. You need professionalism in the boardrooms as well. And it's definitely, we need more individuals such as yourself who will have these ideas, but will not also, not only have these ideas, but be brave enough to go follow through with them and implement them, you know? And no, most definitely. Uh, uh, yes? No, 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 carry on. No, no. So I just wanted to, you know, obviously, it's, it's, it's still, we, we, we're fighting an ongoing battle. And I'm sure you, mm -hmm. you've encountered a few challenges along the way. But just mm -hmm. lastly, if you could just end off with some advice for, for, for future sports administrators who are passionate about women's sport and want to grow. How do they go about, you know, getting funding? And I, I, I want to I wanna talk about, obviously, you running an NPO, you, you must have done a lot of that, but how do you go about, you know, building that relationship where someone will be, will be willing to, you know, fund your project and, and, and ensure and, and believe in you. And, and obviously you will have to believe in the project yourself, but how do you start that conversation? Because, you know, us people of color, you know, we, we have this thing of being too afraid to ask certain things, mm. you, might, you know, you might, you're afraid to come across as, you know, someone who 
is a bit, you know. So how do you how do you encourage people to to take the chances in the, in, in the boardroom and on the field? You know, I think first and foremost, it's you believing in yourself and you not being prepared to compromise on on the value of what you believe in and on the value of what you want to put out there. Uh, I started footballing girls out of nothing, you know, literally out of nothing. It was just an idea to say, how do I get girls to play football? Today, there's so much that happens around footballing girls. And I think, you know, um, around the country, people know what footballing girls is. I even got the opportunity to speak at a global conference um, based on what footballing girls, um, you know, what footballing girls has achieved. Um, looking at it right now, I was actually just amazed today because I was busy sitting and I was counting all the nominations that we got in, and it's just four regions in Gauteng. And I mean, we're looking at 881 nominations, I've 178 finalists. And that's amazing numbers for an organization that um, just started out of nothing, you know? Um, and it was all just about following what we believed in. And I think that's also important. Believe, if you believe that something needs to be done, do it. Don't wait for the next person to do it or don't sit back and say, oh, I can't do it because of this, that, and the other. Things happen to fall in place. Funding is still a bit of a challenge. It, it definitely is. But I think more than anything, if you're running an NPO, make sure your documentation is in order. In whatever funding, whatever little funding that you do get, make sure that you are able to produce your annual financial statements. You have your public benefit organization number. Um, you know, you submit your annual returns. You make sure that your documentation is in order. Yes, it takes a while to knock on doors and then certain doors do open. But what I also find is that I don't necessarily go out and ask for money. I ask for things, you know, if you can't assist with money, how do you assist with things? How do you help me with equipment? How do you help um, giving us a venue, for instance, to have the awards, you know? Um, how do you assist with prizes um, for the winners? You know, it's not always about the money. It's not always about making sure that it's cash in the bank. It's always about making sure that you are able to put out a particular project and that you are able to put it out correctly, not doing it that, okay, let's tick, it's done. No, um, I've, as I said earlier, I don't do mediocrity. It needs to be done that if I put my name against something, it needs to be done and it needs to be done right. I never want to be remembered as the person who just did things for the sake of doing things. It needs to have an impact. And that is why, I mean, you know, with regards to our awards, there's the leadership program that's linked to it. There's the workshops that are linked to it. There's also then looking at federations and saying, what are you doing as a federation to ensure that you are upping the numbers of girls participating in sport? And, and when you do up them, you are maintaining them. You're not just upping them to be, uh, you know, for that time being and then not maintaining them. Um, but, it, you know, as I say, funding is still, is still very, very difficult. But make sure, as long as your paperwork is in order and you knock on the right doors, but also understand, if Lotto puts out an advert and they say these are focus areas, it's not about your focus area, it's about their focus area. And then you need to take what your focus area is and how does it tie into their focus area? Because, I mean, I, Lotto, um, I remember last year when I did the Lotto application and they were looking at focusing on increasing participation in numbers for girls so they were able to assist us with funding for equipment because that tied in with their objective 
you know you can't go knock on a door and say i want this how does that tie in with the organization that you're asking from how does it tie in with what they want out of it you, and that's key and that's important Awesome, awesome stuff. Yeah, and just the final, final question. I know Lita said, <laughs> but you mentioned something there. Um, you yeah. mentioned sort of scaling your own football and mm -hmm. girls and the impact, which is sort of measured in numbers and participation mm -hmm. and, you know, lives that you impact. Mm -hmm. But for you moving forward, how do you see yourself increasing and scaling, scaling and increasing your impact within communities? Look, I definitely love to go national. I think that to some aspect we have, because there's, I mean, there's an organization in KZN we support. There's one in the Western Cape that we do. Um, and where's the other one? Sure, I can't remember. I think there's one in the Eastern Cape. It mm -hmm. escapes me. But I think uh, it's definitely going national. And it's definitely just putting our brand out there of footballing girls to say, we're not just here to say we are here, but we're here to say we need to leave a lasting impression and we need to leave um, some sort of impact that you are able then to go out and continue with that. It's not just about coming there, clapping hands, happy, happy. No, it's about how do we make sure that whatever it is that we do, we are able to leave a lasting impact and we're able to build a legacy from that. Yeah, well, you know, thank you so much <laughs> for your time. We really, really appreciate it. You're um, most welcome. Yeah, I'd love to have you on, you know, on another, just a normal podcast to talk more about this, but mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, just on my, from my side, um, yeah, thank you, thank you so much. It was an amazing, amazing chat. Um, please continue inspiring and empowering girls out there because, you know, I was just thinking to myself, you are literally literally giving girls the opportunity to dream bigger dream bigger than than their uh, environment and circumstances and also have people to look up to as you said so please continue the, the brilliant job that you guys are, are doing at footballing girls and the Gulenu, um, women sports awards, women in sports awards etc so please please continue never stop keep the fight going and hopefully you know we'll see you at the top top seats on our own thank you very much lita thank you for the opportunity and the humbling words brian thank you so much for the opportunity um it was great chatting to you guys it really was great thank you so much thank you thank you so much now we're gonna just stop the recording mm -hmm. and then say our final I'm not going to